Hello, you're listening to Centered Voices. Today's episode is on Black Muslim women and the strong Black women schema through the eyes of my mother. There is a quote I like that goes something like this. Being strong means you know when it's time to be weak and you let yourself be weak by Kyle York. There is so much polarity in this quote. There's a harsh binary with no in-between or gradation. Black women must remain strong, stable, and always able to push through and survive. Being weak is something that, as black women, we feel we simply can't afford. There are so many forces that push black women into constant survival mode, like being in an, an adrenaline rush at all times. Black Muslim women are situated and embedded in, as Bell Hooks adeptly calls it, a imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. Black women have been mothers of this nation, made to suckle future slave owners. The small list of categories that black women have been cornered into seem to be the longest lasting and most rigid of stereotypes. So much so that our very blackness gets called into question. The desexualized mammy, the hypersexualized Jezebel, the angry black woman Sapphire, and the newly appropriated superwoman are all controlling images or tropes that are constantly being recycled in the mainstream media. The last of these is a relatively newly emerged category of stereotype. As I mentioned before, the superwoman, or in this podcast, we will also refer to it as the strong black woman schema or SBW. Additionally, Muslim women in general are stereotyped as oppressed, backwards, sexually repressed, and uneducated. Growing up in the Bay Area as a Black person was, for the most part, pretty negative. Um, Besides the wonderful and uplifting interaction that my sister and I had on a daily basis almost with our our parents teaching us about black history and and how to deal with the challenges that we faced as young black uh, women besides those positive experiences you know which really helped to develop us my daily interactions going to school and with people were generally negative um probably I, I don't know if this is the main reason, but for the most part, uh, from elementary to up until high school, we lived in predominantly white um, neighborhoods, and there was a lot of racism, um, being called nigger, from being thrown rocks at, and African booty scratcher. To this day, I don't understand where that came from or what an African booty scratcher is. Having spoken to other African Americans, um, they've had the same experience. Anyway, um, but a lot of it was just name calling, being beat up. I had braids in my hair, being called Medusa. So going to school with predominantly people of other races, uh, whites particularly, I was always made fun of, ridiculed, made to feel ugly and bad and low um, because of the color of my skin. Um, uh, and these were in the white areas. My The early part of my youth, we were in a predominantly black area, and I wasn't 
you know, I remember there, you know, there were no name calling or nigger this, nigger that. But again, the thought, the memories of those areas or growing up in the earlier part of my youth in a black area was just, I would say, negative as well, just because I remember the school was, you know, just, just like um, not having the proper resources. I remember one time, I guess a drunk man was walking down the street. I'll never forget this because I still have a deep gash and scar on my right upper arm to show the evidence of this, but he was coming toward us. I remember I was about four years old and all of the teachers said, climb as high as you can on top of the play equipment. And a nail must have been sticking out of the, the, what I was climbing on and it gashed me and I didn't stop. I kept climbing and then it like drove, it, it like pierced me so deeply. But I remember the fear because of the teachers like yelling at us, like with earnestness, like we're going to be killed, like get up there, climb as high as you can. Yeah. And this is my experience um, from just playing all day and coloring. I remember not learning anything. And I remember my father asked me every day, what was I learning? And I remember saying nothing. We just played all day. And then soon after that, we moved to the white areas, not to say the white areas are better, but what I'm trying to uh, uh, explicate here is that as a black person growing up here in the Bay Area was not a good experience. In conquering the black girl blues, they define the superwoman stereotype uh, as the strong black woman schema or SBW, which they define it as an amalgamation of beliefs and cultural expectations of incessant resilience, independence, and strength that guide meaning making, cognition, and behavior related to black womanhood. This black woman. Um, can feel and does feel an incumbent responsibility to take care of her family and community. A failure is not an option. And in the face of adversity and financial hardship, these women will do whatever it takes and whatever it needs be to make ends meet. And in terms of emotional well-being, um, we mask our inner state. Um, uh, these black women, we try to be calm and collected and completely in control in order to maintain this like notion of resiliency um this strong black woman superwoman idea is transgenerational in nature um while experiencing a trauma it is common that the uh black sbw women uh, we will encourage resilience in each other we'll encourage resilience um to our uh, femme children by telling her that you will tell her things like you'll get through it um, you can't give up you know uh, the SBW also becomes the subject of what is called self-silencing which stems from the need to appear strong so that is not addressing your own emotional needs and not talking about it um, the black woman who is ASBW is therefore further alienated and feeling left without a way of expressing her own needs and desires because these needs and desires are put on the proverbial back burner, especially when factors such as poverty, racism, and sexism come into play, um, especially including uh, systematic inequalities uh, as well.
do I identify with the SBW schema? Well, I would definitely say that there are aspects to it that I feel fits my uh, identity, but I don't aspire to that. Um, I think as a, a black woman, um, having experienced the the effects and the um, impacts that transgenerational trauma has caused for the other black women in my family, from my grandmothers on down, those effects have definitely influenced my identity. Um, and of course, part of that would definitely be the SBW. Um, at times I find myself aspiring to that because I find myself that looking to my mother and my grandmother, uh, I don't, you know, I don't um, own up to to them. I don't fit all the things that they, they their identity um, com- was comprised of as being strong and black and a woman. They did all these things. They they made their lives perfect. They made their homes perfect. They worked. They did everything. They, they were well-rounded. They were positive. And then so when I look at my own self and the experiences that I have and my um, and how I deal with things that I face, I see many times that it's not like my grandmother's and my mother, and that maybe I'm not an SBW, but do I really want to be? These are questions I pose to myself. So do I identify with this schema? Um, as I said earlier, I think that parts of it I identify with because I strive many times and many days to be as strong as possible in whatever sense of the word and whatever I'm dealing with, whether it be dealing with children, raising children, or with a a job fighting the white male-dominated careers that I have been dealing with, like engineering, or just life in general uh, in America and in the Bay Area, being black and a woman is not, uh, does, is not easy. And there are a lot of things against you as a black woman. So I therefore feel I need to be as strong as possible. I look at Michelle Obama and her mother and her um, renditions from her childhood and how I was like, wow, Michelle Obama's mom, that was, she was an SBW, whether she she liked it or not. But again, you know, I, I'm trying to understand for myself, is this something I want to identify with? Because I've noted that there are several um factors so there are several uh, uh there's effects negative effects that that um arise from being the SBW there's a lot of mental and emotional stress by trying to own up to or aspire toward that SBW you know are you that are you like your mother are you like your grandmother are you going to be everyone's mama in society can you can you do it for your friends can you do it for your family can you do it for your your husband. So on that note, there are parts that I identify with and there are parts that I don't. When was a time that I had to be strong? Um, there were several in, in, in my life, um, but I'll mention one that I remember vividly. Um, and throughout my youth, I had just 
recently gotten a job as a as an engineering professor. My degree is in engineering, and I have also a master's in education. I went on to work for a university, um, and I was supposed to teach uh, students at the university, beginning first year students um, who were students of aerospace engineering. Um, and suddenly my, a few days later, my manager said that there is a new contract with the military and they had to have someone teach them um, aerospace engineering and I was the one. But but the only caveat to this was that I should be prepared. These were not first year students. I mean, they were in college before, but these were older male um, military uh, members who were um, in this special program to brush up on their skills and to um, be a part of what this new project they had to take these courses and I was to be their teacher oh, of course I love a challenge as an SBW right so I said yes I didn't know it was up for me when I uh, arrived the first day there were 30 men that were much older than I was uh, mature men with families um, who appeared like flabbergasted. The look on their faces was something to ride home about when they saw me coming to teach them. I was just, I think, a 20-something at that time, maybe my early 30s, late 20s, and I, you know, was just energized and ready to teach. Um, but they were not expecting a young black male, uh, especially a young Muslim black the woman, uh, excuse me, they weren't expecting a young black female Muslim to be teaching them. And so I remember there were complaints. They were trying to get someone else to teach them. I had to, and then I felt the need, I had to prove myself. I had the knowledge, I had the skills, and I was happy to teach. I loved what I was teaching, and I loved basically helping people understand things. I kept going. I would prepare my lessons and uh, my manager came and of course to review my class and soon I would say within a couple of weeks I had almost all except for two all the students laughing, learning, happy to be my students. They were um, giving, telling the manager that they didn't want anyone else because there was serious talk about replacing me because of the complaints. Um, and soon my, you know, my manager did not want to replace me. He said that my lessons were well-planned and were actually a, a good role model for other teachers because how I was helping the students to enjoy what they were doing. A lot of these, especially the, these military members and uh, their courses, they were very apathetic. They were burnt out. They didn't want to come to these courses, but it was also part of their job. So they were paid to, to learn. They were paid to be there. So they grudgingly came because they needed their salaries. But soon in my course, they were happy and we had a wonderful time. I remember it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I had to be strong though. I had to really not give up at the first day when I heard what was thought about me just based on my looks, based on the fact that I am black and that I'm a female, you know, I wanted to cry. I think I did cry and, but I just knew that I wanted to keep going. I had to be strong. 
I don't want to give up. I knew that I was well qualified. My manager thought I was and wanted me to take this position and I wanted to fulfill it. I one of the things I was going to say I have a problem with, but I don't know if it's necessarily a problem. Sometimes it may be, sometimes not. What I want to say is that I tend to always I have to finish things. I don't like starting something and not finishing it. So even though I was like, wow, when I saw the look on their faces and they were just really manly men, if you want to call them that, you know, like the way they looked at me, they're like, what is this? What is, you know, what kind of teacher is this? This is a joke or something. We're here to learn aerospace engineering. And they bring us this little black chick, you know, I heard comments, I heard snickers. I was just like, oh my God, I can't do this. But I, after thinking and praying and crying, I was like, I'm not going to give up. I don't want to stop. I'm not going to go tell my manager, you know, I can't do this. Um, I think I can. I'm going to just be me. I'm going to teach the way I always teach and try to impart the knowledge that I've gained to these men. Um, These are my students and I will treat them as such. And so I persevered and I kept going every day that semester. And so I continued to teach them for three years and I thank God that God gave me the strength to persevere and not give up. And this is one of the times where I felt I had to be strong, and I was. And you are listening to Centered Voices. Thank you again to all my listeners, and I want to give a huge shout out to my feminist oral history teacher Nan Emila Boyd for giving the best praxis class universities in general ever probably could have ever had to offer so thank you again to my listeners and thank you to my professor